1 Corinthians chapter 14 Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else, who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say, Amen, to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought unto judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you.
In recent weeks, we've been learning that it really matters how Christians use their spiritual gifts within the church. In chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, we saw that every Christian is spiritual and every Christian has been given spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit uh, that are to be used for the common good of the church. So that means some people are given very public and upfront sorts of gifts that will be noticed by everyone, and some are given um, very private and quiet gifts that will hardly be noticed at all. But both those types of gifts are to be used for the upbuilding of the church. And then in chapter 13, we saw that the only way that, whether it's a public gift or a private gift, the only way that it can be used rightly is if it is used with love. And so we said that a very gifted person, somebody who's uh, obviously tremendously gifted, can be of no value to the church. Paul actually says they are nothing in themselves uh, if they don't exercise their gifts in love. And likewise, the person who is uh, very quietly, very uh, privately using the gifts they've been given to serve the church, well, what they're doing is of eternal worth because love is eternal. Love will endure into eternity. And we saw that these truths were rather shocking to the Corinthians because they thought their spiritual experiences, their spiritual gifts, were evidence that God was favoring their church. They thought it was evidence that it was a special church. They thought more highly of themselves than of other churches. But the Apostle Paul calls them to judge their spiritual experiences in light of what God has said and not the other way around. Uh, let me put that another way. We don't, interpret our, um, we don't interpret what God has said based on our experiences. We interpret our experiences based on what God has said. That's the biblical ordering. I think that is still a bit shocking. Because I guess most of us will have, if, if we've spent time in churches um, in the past, most of us will have come from one of two sorts of types of church. Either uh, some will have come from a charismatic sort of church where uh, public gifts are given a great deal of attention. And so in the ministry time after a Sunday service, um, a great deal of attention will be given to gifts of tongues and gifts of uh, prophecy and words of knowledge and, and gifts of healing. All those sorts of things will be very uh, present in the life of that sort of church. And so when we come from that background and we come to Scripture, well, we automatically assume, well, obviously the Bible is for those sorts of things. Obviously, God has told us to do that sort of thing. And so we interpret the Bible through the lens of our experience. And that might even apply uh, more personally. If some of us pray in tongues, then when we come to Scripture and read about tongues, we'll say, well, of course, this is affirming what I've been doing for years. But then there are Christians who also come from a, a more conservative sort of church background where spiritual gifts aren't really talked about, aren't really dealt with at all. And they won't be familiar with those sorts of, uh, for lack of a better word, flashier or, or more public gifts that are done up front. And so uh, when they come to Scripture, they'll think, well, of course, Scripture doesn't want us to, uh, doesn't teach us to 
speak in tongues and to do gifts of healing and those sorts of things because my experience hasn't been that. And so they bring their experience as the, the lens through which they read scripture and maybe they'll think personally, I've never experienced these things and so it can't be what the Bible teaches. And I think both of those groups of Christians need to be challenged. They need to be challenged and we need to be challenged to come to scripture and allow it to speak first and allow scripture to interpret what our experiences have been for us rather than the other way around. And I think if we do that, both sorts of Christians, charismatics and conservatives, will be challenged by what chapter 14 has to say to us. In chapter 12, Paul mentioned there are a number of different gifts, and, and he listed many of them. But in this chapter, he narrows down his focus to just two, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And I think he wants to use those two gifts as uh, paradigms or, or case studies for how to use gifts in the church, how to use gifts to build up the church in love. So from these verses, I want you to see just two things in, our, um, in the sermon this morning. The first one we'll spend much more time on, and then we'll deal with the second one. First, love makes some gifts more desirable for gathered worship. And secondly, intelligibility is the priority in gathered worship. So love makes some gifts more desirable for gathered worship. That's what I think Paul is teaching us in verses 1 to 5. Now, we've said in previous weeks that the Corinthian church was excited about the flashier gifts. Uh, they saw them as a way of gaining status or showing their authority within the church. And it was creating factions. But it seems like those public gifts, the, the gifts of tongues, that one was given a place of special honor. And I think we can uh, come to that conclusion because Paul mentions the gift of tongues some 22 times in chapters 12 through 14. 22 times he's talking about this gift. And according to Paul, they have given this gift the wrong priority in church. Verse 1 says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now I think this is a challenge. I think it's a challenge both to charismatic Christians and to conservative Christians because well, it's a challenge to conservative Christians because Paul says that we should not only love each other, but we should desire spiritual gifts, eagerly desire. That means churches where spiritual gifts are completely ignored and their value is downplayed, well, those sorts of churches are actually wrong. If you hear about spiritual gifts and think, well, that's all a bit weird, I don't really want that supernatural stuff. Well, then you need to have your mind changed. It is good to desire spiritual gifts, says Paul. But then there's a challenge here for charismatic Christians as well. Because Paul says that if love is our motivation, we should desire some gifts more than others. As good as some of the more obviously supernatural gifts might be, prophecy, which is a word-based gift, is to be preferred. That means that churches where tongues or healings are seen as the defining spiritual gift, well, they are wrong. 
Because if you've been satisfied to pray in tongues, you should change your attitude as well. There's something uh, it, that should be especially desired, that should be preferred. Verse 5 says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you have prophecy. Now, because Paul is teaching about the gifts of tongues and prophecy throughout this chapter, I think it's important that we try to define what these gifts are. And we should be careful not to automatically import what we have uh, seen or, or what we have experienced and assume that's what Paul is talking about here. And so, uh, let's think about what these gifts are from the New Testament. We see references to the Holy Spirit giving the gifts of tongues in only two places in the New Testament. Here in 1 Corinthians, and then uh, in Acts, um, as the, the gospel is spreading out. So, in Acts 2, at Pentecost, as the Spirit descends on the people of God in Jerusalem for the first time, uh, tongues of fire land over them, and the people begin speaking in tongues. And what, it, what that gift means there is that they're speaking in other tongues, other known human languages. We might call them known tongues. And we can say that for sure because there are people from other uh, nations around, and they each hear the, the people that are speaking in tongues speaking in their own mother language. And so uh, that gift of tongues is allowing the gospel to, to spread forth through the church as God has empowered them by His Spirit to, to preach in these other languages. And as the book of Acts continues, uh, at each stage where the gospel reaches a new group of people and the Spirit descends on them, we see that same speaking in tongues happening. So we see that in um, Acts chapter 10 as the gospel reaches Samaria and the, Samaritan, the new Samaritan Christians start speaking in tongues and preaching the gospel. And then we see that in the ends of the earth with the Gentiles in chapter 19. As the Spirit descends, they begin to speak in tongues. And this gift of known tongues seems to be given to people at key points in the book of Acts. As the gospel is proclaimed to a new people group so that the message can just keep spreading. You remember Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And so at each of those stages... The Spirit is empowering the gospel to go even further. And some people would say that um, that is the only gift of tongues that the Bible speaks about, the God-given ability to proclaim the gospel in known tongues or, or known human languages. So the most extreme example would be if, um, if a person was suddenly empowered without study and without prior knowledge, if they were suddenly empowered to speak some tribal language and that allowed them to, to preach Jesus to a people group that had not heard of him before. And we could think of a slightly less extreme example as um, there, there are Christians who are very gifted with languages and so uh, they pick them up very quickly, and that enables them to do missions work or to do Bible translation work, and we could call that a gift of tongues. Now, I think that matches up with some of what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 14, but perhaps not quite all of it, because here we're reading about tongues that need an interpreter, 
and that a person speaking in tongues is speaking as a foreigner. Those are things that Paul says. And so both those things, they would apply to somebody who is speaking in known human languages, wouldn't they? But we also read that the person is speaking uh, in tongues, uh, that the person speaking in tongues is speaking to God and not people, that they're uttering mysteries, that their minds are unaware of what they are saying, and that they are unintelligible to others. And so those things wouldn't necessarily fit other human languages. The Corinthians seem to be speaking in unintelligible sounds. And when Christians today talk about speaking in tongues, I think they're usually referring to this second kind of uh, tongues. Maybe we call them unknown tongues. Now, this kind of free vocalization, it's not unique to Christianity. It, it's practiced in other religions as well. But it may well be that Paul is speaking here um, about Christians uh, using this free vocalization. And certainly, that is what I have heard when I have um, gone to, to churches where Christians are praying in tongues. And, and I suppose some watching today might pray in this sort of way. But whether we think Paul is speaking about the gifts of known tongues or, or unknown tongues, he says that it is a good thing. It is a good thing because it edifies and builds up the individual who speaks in tongues. In verse 18, he says he speaks in tongues more than anyone. But he also says that unless there is somebody who can interpret what is said, it shouldn't be used in gathered worship. Well, why? Because the purpose of gathered worship isn't the edification of an individual. It's the edification of the whole church, the building up of the whole church. And so we read this in verse 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Tongues are good for private devotion, but prophecy is better for church, says Paul. Prophecy, therefore, we need to think about what that is, according to the Bible. So prophecy is mentioned much more often in the Bible than the gift of tongues. It is the only spiritual gift that makes every major uh, spiritual gift list in the New Testament. That's here, and then in Romans, and then in Ephesians as well. And of course, we read about prophets in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So what is prophecy? Well, like tongues, I would say it isn't entirely straightforward. So, for the most part, when the Bible speaks of prophecy and of prophets, it's speaking of the authoritative messengers of the Word of God to God's people. The authoritative messengers of God in the Old Testament era specifically. So, Jesus often, he refers to the law and the prophets as a way of speaking about the entire writing of the Old Testament. And Hebrews 1 says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors um, through the prophets. And in Ephesians 2, Paul says, uh, he writes that the church is built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. 
All of these references are references to the Old Testament prophets who wrote the scriptures. And so, by the Holy Spirit, they spoke an authoritative word to God's people on behalf of God himself. Uh, to disobey those prophets was to disobey God himself. A very serious matter. And if somebody falsely claimed to be a prophet, well, uh, they, they would be killed. It was such a serious matter. And it seems that the New Testament equivalent of, of that Old Testament prophet is an apostle. Uh, we, we just saw Ephesians 2. The, the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, the Old Testament and the New Testament. They are the uniquely authorized messengers of God in the New Testament era, and they are the ones who, who wrote, therefore, most of the New Testament books. And to reject their message, or, or to reject them, we're told, is to reject God himself. So, if it isn't the equivalent of Old Testament prophets, what is the spiritual gift of prophecy? Well, I think that we get some clues from the passage. So let's look at those verses again. First, verse 3. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And then verse 19 speaks about words that instruct. And then at the end of our reading, verses 24 and 25. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their heart are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God really is among you. So what does that tell us about the gift of prophecy? Well, first, prophecy is a word gift. It is about speaking intelligible words to others, which means that it isn't primarily about uh, receiving individual revelations through dreams or visions or impressions. It's about verbally communicating a message. Secondly, prophecy builds up the church. And so prophetic words strengthen, they encourage, they comfort the church. They instruct the church. They also bring conviction of sin, and they lay the secrets of people's hearts bare, and they drive people to worship God. Thirdly, prophecy is something that everyone should aspire to and can do. Maybe that's surprising to you. Over and over, Paul says, pursue the greater gifts to desire the gift of prophecy and that he prefers that everybody would prophesy. In verse 24, he gives this scenario where everyone is prophesying when, when the unbeliever comes in. And therefore, it seems that while some in the church may be given especially um, the gift of prophecy, some may be given a, a big helping of that gift, uh, everyone can aspire to it, and everyone can exercise it to some extent. Men and women, young and old, uh, new believers and uh, older believers. Fourth, prophecy is less authoritative for the church than preaching and teaching. Now this is um, a necessary inference from this part of Scripture rather than something we can directly pull from chapter 14 here. 
because the gifts of preaching and teaching, when done faithfully, they are by definition the authoritative communication of the Word of God to God's people. So insofar as somebody preaches and teaches the Bible faithfully, our response to that is our response to God. Uh, that is why teaching roles in churches are, uh, are carefully assigned and given only to trustworthy men. It's why uh, there are lists of qualifications for a pastor in the Bible. Teaching and preaching have inherent authority in them. Prophecy, by contrast, is open to all Christians and is therefore more provisional and personal. It, it must be weighed, it must be tested, it, it doesn't necessarily command our obedience. And we see that in Acts 21 as Agabus, he prophesies that Paul is going to be imprisoned by uh, the, the Jews if he goes to Jerusalem, and yet Paul hears him, believes him, and goes anyway. And I think that when we put this picture together, we begin to build a, an understanding of what the gift of prophecy is in the church today. What word builds up the church and is accessible to all? What word comforts and convicts and leads people to worship God? It seems to me that that can only be the message of the Bible, the Word of God. The spiritual gift of prophecy, therefore, is exercised wherever Christian people interpret and apply the Word of God to one another. So, uh, where do we see the gift of prophecy being used in our church? Well, I would say we see it in a number of places. Now, let me list some for you. First of all, we see the gift of prophecy used in our Sunday morning services, especially at the moment in our Zoom meeting services, uh, the, the Zoom coffee hour, because we are there applying the week's Bible passage and the sermon that we've just heard to one another's lives. And people are, are chipping in and saying, well, I think this is an implication of what the Bible is teaching here. And so I think there is uh, one place where we're prophesying. And of course, when we're able to gather in person, where does that happen? Well, it happens over coffee after the service as we talk to one another. And, and you might imagine one dad saying to another, I find those verses so helpful uh, in parenting. What do you think? And they're off prophesying. They're, they're prophesying God's word into one another's lives. So it, it does happen on a Sunday morning. I think. Uh, but one of, the, one of the key places I think it happens in our church and in many churches is um, in growth groups. So in, in home Bible study groups, as little groups of people gather together week by week, they open up the scriptures and, and prayerfully consider what they say, and they apply the scripture to one another's lives and help one another understand it. Sometimes it's just an encouraging truth taken from the Bible reading, and somebody will, will say, which happened this week in, in one of the studies I'm leading, uh, somebody said, I so needed to hear that. That's wonderful. That's exactly um, what I needed to, to hear. And I think that's prophecy. 
It might also be a, a challenging word, a, a, a confronting word, a convicting word about sin that cuts us to the heart. And I think that's prophecy. And maybe, maybe these growth groups should be called prophecy groups. Would that make them more exciting? Would that make you want to go to one um, if you're not already? Or, or make it a priority if it's not already? Uh, I mean, if you actually imagined, if, if we actually imagined um, that we would hear a prophetic word from God spoken into our lives in these growth groups, well, wouldn't we clear our schedules to be there? Wouldn't we rush our dinner one night a week so that we could be there to hear what God has to say to us? Well, I think that sort of prophecy is happening in our groups, and it is worth being there for. And then, I don't think Sunday mornings and growth groups are the only places that prophecy happen in a church. I think it happens everywhere where Christians are um, trying to apply what the Bible teaches in, uh, in one another's lives and in the life of the church. And so it happens at our committee meetings as a, a church committee as we try to apply what the Bible teaches to how we lead this church and our decision-making. I think it happens in coffee shops around the place as, as uh, a Christian shares um, an encouraging word from their morning devotions with a friend as they sit together and chat. And I think there are hundreds of other different ways that prophecy can be occurring in the church. And if our whole church really does desire and use the gift of prophecy, what will be the result of that? Well, our church body will be built up. Prophetically speaking, the Word of God, it'll strengthen our faith. It'll raise up the lowly and it'll humble the proud in our church. It will convict unbelievers of the truth about their sin. And it will drive all of us uh, all together to fall down in worship to our God, who really is among us by His Holy Spirit. He really is. And we see that wherever uh, people are prophesying the Word of God to one another. Now, uh, that is, I think, the key point from this passage, but uh, I think also there is this second point about intelligibility. Intelligibility is a priority in gathered worship. He, uh, Paul is especially keen on the gift of prophecy, especially in the contrast to the gift of tongues, because uh, it is intelligible. He, he gives these two gifts as a model of how gifts in gathered worship should be used. And let me just point out a, a couple things from, from this. First, intelligibility is imperative for gathered worship. That's the point of verses 6 to 19. Uh, just like you can make a noise on an instrument without playing a tune, you can have a lot of excitement, a, a lot of chaos in church without offering worship to God. Christian services, um, Christian services of worship must have intelligible Christian content in them. That's why the words of the songs that we sing on Sundays really matter. They need to be intelligible. Now, that is why the people leading intercessions, they give time and preparation 
because they, they believe, and we believe, that prayers, what we pray, really matters. The content of it needs to be intelligible and not just rambling. And that is why uh, parts of our services, all parts of our services, are conducted in English or with an English translation. Because even though many of us are native speakers of other languages, um, we need to be making things understandable, intelligible to all people. It's why I try to make my sermons clear and understandable. Now, some weeks I do a better job of that than others, but, but that is the goal. Uh, I'm trying to make them as clear and um, understandable as possible, to have a, a structure that people can take away with them. We're not trying to manipulate emotions, therefore. We're not trying to turn off our minds, and we're not trying to leave people with a, a vaguely spiritual impression of God. Now, we're speaking a message about a God who has revealed himself, made himself known in ways we can understand. A God who created the universe with words. A Savior who became a human and uh, came to speak and to live and to die and to rise right in front of us so that we could understand. A Spirit who raises people from death to life by a message, by the power of the gospel message. So, intelligibility is imperative for gathered worship. Uh, secondly, accessibility is important for gathered worship. Now, that's the point of verses 20 to 25. You know, we don't have time to deal with this quote from Isaiah in depth, but the gist of it is this. When God makes himself incomprehensible, that is a sign of his judgment on a person or on a people group. God clearly reveals himself to those who are being saved. That is why the message of the cross, for example, as Paul talked about in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to uh, we who are being saved, it is the power of God. The same message, misunderstood by one, uh, embraced by the other, and understood. Therefore, our gathered worship, it should not needlessly alienate non-Christians. If they come to a service and they find all sorts of, uh, of chaotic spectacle uh, in our service, well, they might think that these people are out of their minds and they might never uh, listen long enough to hear the message that is the power of God. But I hope that if any Christians are, are uh, any non-Christians are watching, rather, I hope that if any non-Christians are watching, uh, that you can see that we are in our right minds. We, we might believe things that you don't believe or, or maybe you think are silly or don't understand, but you can see that um, we're intelligible. Uh, we're communicating using reason and uh, using arguments that you can follow and using words that mean things. We use uh, intelligible words because our services need to be accessible and most of all, I hope that um, if you're watching, that you can see that God is among us when we open up his word together. And therefore, there is no better place for you to be and for me to be 
then, then gathered together under God's word, speaking it to one another as he is among us. Allow me to pray. Father, we thank you that you have gifted our church with every gift we need to flourish and to thrive. I pray that you would awaken us to our spiritual gifts, that uh, you would help us to discern what they are, that you would send other Christians into our lives and um, use them to open our eyes to our gifts, and that as we become more and more aware of the gifts that you've given us, that we would find ways of using those to serve you and to serve your people out of love. So please uh, help us and use us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.